You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Can you hear me? Yes, you can now. Uh, welcome, good to be with you guys, blessed to always fellowship and worship and get into the Word of God with you. Um, excited this morning to get back into the book of Mark. We've been out of it for a few weeks with uh, Palm Sunday and Easter, and last week, if you weren't here, I encourage you to go listen to the church and community. We just talked about looking at the book of Acts, how we're supposed to function as a church, why we do what we do, leading up to Ohana groups, which are smaller gatherings and Sundays, which would be larger gatherings, and why uh, biblically we do that, and uh, just encourage us to participate in those as well. So I encourage you to go uh, listen to that if you haven't, but we are getting back into the book of Mark's, Mark, which we've been in since the beginning of the church, and uh, today we are in Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. So Mark 7, verses 24 through 37 is our text today, and we jump back into this wonderful account and narrative of Jesus and him interacting with humanity, and uh, we're going to be looking at two different stories today in this uh, latter part of Mark chapter 7. So why don't you read with me? I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. I have it up on the PowerPoint if you don't have a New Living Translation, but as always, um, as you come in on either side, there's, there's New Living Translation Bibles you can just grab and use. Or if you just want to have a New Living Translation, you can um, take it home. It's our gift to you uh, to get into the Word. Sorry, let me just move this fan a little bit. I run really hot, and so I have two fans pointing on me. And uh, sometimes it messes with the mic a little bit. But without further ado, let's get into the Word. Matthew 7, or excuse me, Mark 7, verse 24 says this. <clears throat> Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he, but he couldn't keep it secret. Right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Since she was a Gentile born in Syrian Phoenicia... Jesus told her, first I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from my children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. Good answer, he said. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed, and the demon was gone. And then verse 31 Jesus left Tyre and went to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Ten Towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears. Then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue... Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, that, epathva, which means be opened. 
Instantly, the man could, be, could hear perfectly. His tongue was freed so that he could speak plainly. Jesus told the crowds not to tell anyone, but the more he told him not to, the more the, 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 the news spread. They were completely amazed and said again, everything he does is wonderful and even makes the deaf to hear and give speech to those who cannot speak. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you once again for this time and this space to dig into your word and allow you to speak to us. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do just that, that you would speak to us through your word as we dig in and understand and look at the original meaning and the significance of what's happening in the stories, that not only would we see the significance of what you did and how you healed this man and this woman and her daughter, we pray that you would apply it to our own lives, that you would give us understanding of how we can approach you and the way and the manner to approach you as we come before you. And so, Lord, we ask for, that you would equip us, that you would teach us, that you would correct us, that you would train us in righteousness so that the man or woman of God would be adequately equipped for every good work. That is the purpose of your word, and we pray that it would do that this morning. God, would you anoint me? I pray that this would be from you, that you would use me as your mouthpiece to communicate your truths, that you would empower me by your spirit to do so, and we just give you this time and ask that you would have your way. pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So today, once again, we see this up-close and personal account of Jesus, Right, with, with the deaf man in the, in the, in the, with the speech impediment, literally Jesus is putting his hands in this man's ears and on his tongue. I mean, this is an up-close and personal interaction between, between Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, with humanity. And these accounts, these stories, these narratives are not only to tell us the compassionate character of God, but also to give us an example to follow and how to go about approaching and requesting things of Jesus. So not only do we see God's heart and his character and his power and his might to overcome and heal, but we also see these examples of this, this woman and this man coming before Jesus and the way in which they did so is a great example for us when we come before the Lord. And our first account that we read is of this Gentile woman, this non-Jewish woman, with a demon-possessed daughter. And the second is this deaf man that also cannot speak. He has a speech impediment. Both of them have different needs, but both come to the Lord. They approach Jesus, and they leave him being set free, healed, and changed forever. Right? This continues in this gospel where this isn't the first time we have seen this, that Jesus has miraculously healed and set people free by his power. Literally, this is the kingdom of God coming into the world and, and, and uh, entering and saving and redeeming and healing and restoring uh, humanity. And so this first story we, we read is of the Gentile woman, right? Verses 24 through 30. And there's a bit of context and significance that we kind of need to dig into. And, and we need to understand the original meaning and the context and why Jesus would say what he did, why he would respond that way, because it's, 
It's rather alarming in some ways, or it can be, of how what Jesus said to this woman. So it's important that we kind of look into context first. But, but first, what happens is the story begins with Jesus going t- to the f- vicinity of Tyre. And he, he didn't want anyone to know about it. So actually, he's leaving Israel. He's leaving Judea. He's going north, and he's trying to get away, really, from the immensity and the overwhelmingness of what all this ministry that's been taking place. And so once again, we see that Jesus is going to a secluded place in order to be with his father and be refreshed. And this isn't the first time we've seen this, right? Jesus has been spending all his waking hours from from morning until night ministering in Jewish provinces, right? All in, in Northern Israel, in the Galilee region, Ministry to overwhelming crowds, and he's just exhausted. This is Jesus' humanity coming out, God in the flesh. Uh, He gets tired. He gets exhausted. And so Jesus left these Jewish provinces. He went into a Gentile region, Tyre, to get some rest. And once again, it should be just a real note to us, if Jesus had to rest, we do too. Right? Like if if we think we can do it all and just run wild and go for it and we can do it, Jesus that, he couldn't even do that in his, in his humanity. How much more we need to take Sabbath and rest and have space and have boundary and slow down. Slow down 2018 is what the word is here, right? We need to have good rhythms and Sabbath and rest. It's so important because it was important to Jesus. So Jesus tries to go away. He tries to get some rest. But once again, it doesn't work, right? This woman, this Gentile woman, hears of his arrival And he makes her way boldly to Jesus. And what's important to note is that this woman, culturally, socially, and religiously, actually had no place or right to approach Jesus the way she did. She sees Syrophoenician. And because of Tyre's proximity to Judea, she would have known like Jewish customs. And she would know that because she was None of the religious, moral, or cultural credentials, like she didn't have those as, as a non-Jew, it was necessary that you did have those credentials in order to approach a Jewish rabbi. You couldn't just go up to a Jewish rabbi and ask him something like this if you weren't a Jew and a practicing one. This is not a Jew. This is not a practicing one. This is a Gentile woman boldly approaching, breaking cultural, social, and religious barriers in order to come to Jesus. She's a Phoenician, a Gentile, um, very much known as, as a pagan culture, a woman, and her daughter has an unclean spirit. She knows that like in every way, according to the standards of the day, that what she's doing is wrong. Like it's breaking every single social, cultural, and religious barrier to go to Jesus and ask her what she does. Very much in that day, according to Jewish standards, she would have been unclean, disqualified to approach any devout Jew, let alone a rabbi. But we see here is she doesn't care. Her daughter is hurting, 
She's a mother. She can't do anything about it. And you guys know the love of a mother. A mother will do anything for her kids. And so she breaks every single cultural, religious, and moral barrier. And she goes to the source, this man Jesus, that word has traveled now outside of Israel because he's the one that can do this. He's the one that can uh, cast out the demon. He's the one that alone can heal. And so she enters this house without an invitation. She falls down at Jesus' feet. She begs him to heal her daughter, right? To exercise this demon from her daughter. And the verb beg there means keep on begging. Like she kept doing it. She was persistent in it. It wasn't a one-time thing. She, she went uninvited into that house as a Gentile in front of a rabbi and was begging and nothing could stop her. And on the surface, Jesus' response is like really strange and like an insult. And like, Jesus, this girl is trying. Her daughter has this thing. Why would you respond like this? Right? Because his response to her answer uh, in verse 27, he says, Jesus told her, first I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Speaking to her question. It seems really harsh and very strange. But again, it's, it's, it's helpful to understand context and original word usage here. Uh, we are very much like a dog people society, right? A dog loving society, man's best friend. A lot of us have dogs. But in the New Testament, that was not the case. You, that did not happen. Dogs were scavengers. They were wild, dirty in every way. Um, they were not a canine loving society. And so to call someone a dog was a terrible insult. In Jesus' day, the Jews often would call Gentiles dogs, right? They were unclean. They weren't of God's chosen people. Um, that was very much an insult. So what is Jesus doing here? Like, that's kind of what he's saying. Is he saying an insult? No, he's not. It's rather a parable. Let me explain. If we remember, a parable is, is a metaphor or it's a likeness uh, of, of what this is. And so one key understanding is that this word that he uses here for dogs, in a word study, the, the form actually means puppies. It's an actually more kinder, gentler term, meaning like a, a child dog. It means puppies instead of like you are a dog. He's speaking of it in the diminutive form, and it means puppies. And if you remember, this woman is a mother bringing her daughter to Jesus' feet. And so when he's saying to her, you know, how families eat, first you feed your children, then whatever's less, then you feed the puppies, then you feed the dogs. It isn't necessarily um, a thing of value. It's just a matter of order. So puppies must not eat food before their children do. This is what he's meaning. This is his metaphor that he's using here. And even if you go to Matthew's account, Jesus... Uh, explains it a bit further, and he gives a slightly longer version to his answer, and he says that I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And so what he's trying to say is it's not that I don't want to help you or heal you or help your daughter. It's just that I'm called to the people of Israel first, and, I, and after that, then, then I can help you. It wasn't he was saying, like, you're a dog, and this is really, um, uh, you know, a harsh insult, but he's rather trying to explain to her his purpose to the nation of Israel first. And we know this, um, that Jesus concentrated his ministry on Israel for all, all sorts of reasons. Um, 
He was sent to show Israel that he was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, of Old Testament scriptures, right? He was the fulfillment of prophets and priests and kings and the fulfillment of the temple. And after Jesus would resurrect, right, from the dead, he immediately said, his, uh, said to his disciples, go to all the nations, not just Israel, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the, wor- of the world, of all the nations. And so his words were not meant to insult, but it was rather to explain the order to which he was called. And so what he's saying to this Gentile woman is, please understand, there's an order here. I'm, not, I'm going to Israel first, then the Gentiles, then the other nations later. And this is what the woman's reply is, right? So he, he says that. It's kind of hard to get to the meaning if you just have a simple reading. But when we look at it, he answers this. And her response, in other words, says, Yes, Lord, but the puppies eat from the table too, and I'm here for mine. So in other words, she responds, Okay, I understand. I'm not a Jew. I'm not from Israel. I do not worship the God that the Israelites worship. Therefore, but, but therefore, I, I, don't, I don't have a place at the table, and I accept that, but can you still help me? I may not be a part of the Abrahamic covenant through which God's promises would come through the nation of Israel. I might be a Gentile woman, but my daughter is still demon-possessed, and you are Jesus, and I'm here because you are the one that can help my daughter. And even though I'm not of this chosen Jewish race, can I please have some of you? Even if it's second, even if it's a crumb, that's what she's saying. I'm a puppy, call me what you want, but help me. Help me, Lord. And Jesus is taken back by this answer. He's not expecting it. When he hears it, literally, he, 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 he says, wonderful answer. Or like, incredible answer, good answer. She's understanding, she's grasping what Jesus said, but she's still coming to him because she has a tangible, felt need, and she believes that Jesus can help her. And Jesus is astonished. And he's moved by her response in such a way that her plea is answered, and it says that she goes back to her daughter, and her daughter is is lying quietly, the demon is gone, She is healed, and Jesus, from a distance, has miraculously answered this Gentile woman's plea. And Jesus was was moved. He was moved to do this by this woman's approach, by her attitude and her faith. And because, because of that, it moved the hand of God, and this woman's daughter was miraculously set free and healed. Whether or not she was a Jew or not, she knew Jesus could do it. And so she didn't take no for an answer. And she, she, she broke every barrier and she begged and she kept begging for Jesus to do it. And he did it. It's an incredible little, little story we have here. And, this, and Jesus continues on his journey to our center, second interaction today. And it's this healing of the deaf man and this man with a speech impediment. Mark 7, 30 through 37. And so what happens here is that Jesus is traveling. And of course, crowds are gathered and they're bringing sick and everyone that has a disease and everybody that has something wrong with them, they're bringing people to Jesus. And these friends bring this guy that cannot hear and he can't really speak also. 
And it says here, they begged Jesus he would be healed in the same way. They came before Jesus and they just didn't take no for an answer. And they brought their buddy that was disabled and they said, Jesus, heal him. And and they begged him to heal him. And Jesus, it's pretty neat. He took him away, away from the crowds, which is pretty unusual. It's kind of strange. And and just one-on-one, there was this intimate interaction between this man and Jesus. And it may be kind of strange how Jesus did it, right? He kind of just stuck his fingers in this man's ears. And then he like, (laughs) you know, like sticks his hands in his mouth. But all of this really intimate interaction, this man is miraculously healed, right? I mean, there's not too much of a, it's pretty straightforward. There's not a ton of hidden hidden meaning with this one. But it's a very sweet picture of how Jesus just took this man that really couldn't function in society. And there was a lot of needs, and there was a lot of people, and I'm sure a lot of people were tugging at his attention. But these friends bring this man, and he takes him aside, away from the crowd, and he just face-to-face, really intimately, touches this man. And he is healed I mean, he is miraculously able to hear again and speak again. I mean, right, think about this. Who who knows how long this man had been in this condition, but this man for the first time and who knows how long could not only speak, but he heard his own voice again. Like, how crazy is that? And it says that the crowds were amazed, like astonished. Because, I mean, think about that, right? There's a crowd... The friends are bringing this guy because he can't hear and he can't speak. Jesus sees him. They're begging. It's kind of making a scene. He takes him away, either into a house or behind a building, whatever. He heals this man. This man comes out, and he's hearing the crowd. He's speaking. I don't know what what he's doing, but can you imagine this, right? It says the crowds were, like, astonished and amazed. And so this man that's healed by Jesus in a moment is hearing like this astonishment, hearing this praise, and he's able to speak, and he's able to hear himself, and he's able to function again, right? This man had very tangible physical needs, and he chose to go out of his way with the help of others to approach Jesus, and he did this because he believed that Jesus could do it, right? If you, if you didn't, he wouldn't have gone, but story after story and person after person We're going out and they were talking about this man, Jesus. And word was traveling hundreds of miles into these other regions. And this man comes before Jesus with a very tangible need. And he comes before him and he approaches Jesus and he begs Jesus. And Jesus touches him and he is healed. Really incredible interactions, right? Of of people really hurting. Like with really felt needs, It might have been different. It might have been like this really weird, uh, demonic situation with this girl's daughter, right? This girl was demon-possessed, it says. This girl was taken over by an evil spirit, so she probably was doing a myriad of different, really weird, strange, evil, crazy things. And this mom comes, and Jesus just miraculously heals the daughter. And then there's this guy that, like, literally cannot function. He is disabled. He cannot speak, and he cannot hear. He has some, like, tangible, physical needs that he cannot really do life with. And Jesus just so intimately touches this man and heals him. And what we can glean from these two interactions 
is the way and the manner in which this Gentile woman and this, this deaf man approached Jesus. And there's a great example in truth in how they did that. And, and they saw God's hand move. And they saw his kingdom come. And his will was done. And I believe that their example of how they approached him, that we need to heed these truths and their approach method when we come before God so that we in our midst can see God move. Like that we can, we can see prayers being answered and his kingdom coming and people being healed and set free and redeemed and the kingdom of God coming into our town and our workplace and our family and we so desperately need God's kingdom to come and his will to be done and his, his, his hand to move in our midst. And what I mean by approach for us, right, they were, they were physically approaching Jesus, like face-to-face -face human beings. What I mean by approach for us as believers, as Christians, when we approach God, I mean by prayer. I mean by way of communication. I mean by way of asking him things and listening and reading his word and trying to spend time with him and, and, and hearing his voice and praying, asking. Like, that's what I mean by approaching God, coming before God and, and, and communing with him in prayer. And all glory be to God that we can do this now, right? Jesus died on the cross. The veil in the temple was torn, which which meant, which symbolically meant that no longer was this separation from God's people, from God's presence. Jesus made a way. He is our advocate. He is our mediator between us and the Father. And now, the book of Hebrews will say, that we can boldly approach God's throne to receive grace and mercy in our time of need. Like there is a open communication between us and the God of the universe now. Like, we can talk with him. We can share with him. We can vent to him. He can speak to us. We can understand. We can hear his voice. It, it, it's, it's an open communication. It's an open dialogue. We can have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus the Son. Do you see how wonderful that is? There's no longer distance or separation or hoops that we have to jump through, or other people that you have to go through. Jesus Christ is our one mediator. Amen? So we can do that. We can seek God. We can approach God. We can pray to God. And the first takeaway, the first thing that is really apparent in both of these stories today, is the first takeaway is that they both admitted their need. They admitted that they had a need. Like for the Gentile woman, it was the well-being of her daughter. For the disabled man, right, it was that he was deaf and had a speech impediment. It was his health and his ability to function. They came to Jesus with a need. I have a need. I am broken. I am hurting. I cannot fix myself. Here is my need, Jesus. Right, they both had to come to a place where they admitted that they had a problem and they came to Jesus asking for help. We've, we've got to get that first. That is like at the foundation of both of these and needs to be at the foundation for us as well. Right, the very first step when we come to God in order for God to truly move and go deep and meet our needs is, and for his will to be done is to be vulnerable before God. 
Like to be open and to be like, I have an issue. I have a problem. I am struggling. The first thing that we need to do when we come before God is to be open and real and honest. And it needs to come from like, like, a, like a broken, I gave up, God, it's yours type of place. For this woman, you know, and this man, they broke social, cultural, and religious barriers to bring this problem to the Lord. They so deeply admitted their felt need that they were willing to do whatever it took to get their need to the feet of Jesus. There was no reluctancy. There was no hesitancy. If anything, there was persistency. God, here I am, and I need you, and I can. I'm not going to leave until you help me. That's persistency in prayer. When you do not give up, when you can keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, Jesus tells us that's how we are to pray. We're to bring ourselves with all our brokenness and all our needs and all our drama and all our stuff and all our junk real vulnerably and open to the feet of Jesus and say, God, I can't do this anymore. I need you. And that's hard to do. That's really hard to do. Right? It's hard to admit that we cannot do something. It is so hard to admit that something is too hard for us or that we can't handle it, or we can't push through or try harder. Maybe it's a me thing, maybe it's a guy thing, but man, this is like really hard to admit fault. It's really hard to admit being wrong and needing help, right? In any aspect of life, no, I can do it. I'm just gonna work harder and try harder and just go for it and push through. And a lot of us, that's our natural like coping mechanism is when things happen, we just try to do it on our own and pull our bootstraps up and go for it. But that's not how we should go about things. When we are hurting, when we are broken, when we are needy, what we should do is we should come and bring those needs to the feet of Jesus and present them in like all their realness. And again, that's the first step because a lot of times it's the hardest place to get to is verbalizing your need and coming before God and speaking that need to him. But again, that is the foundation of the gospel. Like that's the foundation of coming to know Jesus in the first place is us recognizing that we need a savior. <laughs> that we've sinned, that we've fallen short, that we're messed up, that we're broken, that we can't do this on our own, that we weren't meant to do this on our own. And we have to come to that place in our lives and say, Jesus, it's not about me or what I can do or try harder or just try to be a good person. It's about you and what you did. And I'm, I tap out. Like, I'm done and I need you. That's the moment we all have to get to when we first came to Jesus. And what I'm trying to say is that's the moment and that's the place that we need to live in daily. Jesus, apart from you, I can do nothing. Unless you get me through today, I won't make it. It, it takes a, a, a desperation and a dependency on Jesus. And what we see in these stories today is that these two, in a very tangible way, admitted their need. And we too need to get to that place of admitting that we have a need and verbalizing our need to God. And the second thing that we see here in these stories is that they approached Jesus with that need, but they did it with humility. They asked with humility. 
See, this, gent this Gentile woman, she knew her place. She knew that she didn't deserve what Jesus could do for her. Right? She was going to him when she wasn't even supposed to. She kind of knew that he was called to the nation of Israel first. But this woman goes and she just, she knows she isn't really like worthy even to talk to Jesus. And he's breaking the rules, let alone get anything from him. But she came begging for Jesus to meet her needs. But it wasn't out of a place of entitlement. You do not see that in her response or her question even. It wasn't out of a place of entitlement or thinking that Jesus owed her something. That is not how she asked God. She did not come before God and said, I'm the most amazing person in the world. And because of all these reasons, you owe it to me, God, to do this for my daughter. She didn't come up with a case. She didn't give her, you know, resume of what a good mom she was or whatever. She just came before Jesus knowing her place, knowing she did not even deserve to be in his midst. But rather she came humbly asking if she could just get any peace or leftover or seconds of what Jesus was giving. Right? That's the whole use of this puppy, dog, children, food analogy, this metaphor, um, this parable that we saw is that she was just humbly coming before Jesus got on her knees and begged him to do so. And we have to be reminded that like humility is a key to the kingdom of God. Right? The book of James would say that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Right, Mark 10, 45, Jesus came to serve and not to be served and give his life for a ransom for many. Like Jesus' life was one of humility. And when we approach God, like we need to know our place. That we're sinners saved by grace, right? Not of our own works so that we, no one would boast, but a gift from God, Ephesians 2. That God is the one that saves us by his grace. He's the one that sustains us by his grace. We do not deserve anything that he has given us or anything that he will give us. He is so good and he's perfect and he's righteous and he's holy and he's awesome and he's wonderful. And he loves us and he gives good things to his children. But when we come before him and approach him, we should not, nor, nor, nor should we act entitled when we come to Jesus, but rather, God, please. I know that I'm not worthy or deserving, and I know it's gonna take grace for you to do this in mercy, but please, I know that you are God, and, I, and I'm not, but, but come before God humbly and, and in reverence when we ask him. In a, in a commentary that Tim Keller wrote on the response of this Gentile woman, uh, he wrote this. He said, she's not saying, Lord, give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. She's saying, give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness. That's a very different way to phrase a question. God, I pray this would happen because you're good. I don't deserve this and I haven't earned it, but you have, Lord, and you're good and you're worthy and you can do it. And when we come to God with a need, which we all have, we all have many needs, many things going on. Instead of feeling entitled, like we somehow deserve or have earned what we're asking for, 
We need to come humbly and thankfully knowing that all we have or get is an undeserved free gift of God. Like it's all by his grace and for his glory that we get anything. And man, I, I'm the first one to admit that it is so easy when I pray to come before God with a shopping list type of prayer, right? That you thank God, right? Because you should. To God, you're awesome, you're good, but here we go. And you pull out your list or you have your list of God. I pray you do this, that, and the other, and you give me that, and you do that. And, all, and we just start rattling off this entire list of all these things that we need. And if we're not careful, a lot of times it can come off like, God, this is what I need. I know what I need. This is it. And this is going to make life a lot better, so do it. Like, I deserve, this is good. This is right. I know best. I deserve this. God, I've been like serving you and obedient and faithful, and I've been doing all these things. So shouldn't you? If we're not careful, that can be the tone and tenor of our prayer. It can be more like a list of demands rather than humble requests. And many times, our wants, uh, our wants can really just become our own will. Instead of asking God, what's your will? Give me what you want for me. We can just come before God with a list of our own will and our own life and our own wants and ask God to just bless that. Bless it. Bless what I just asked you for. Give me what I asked for instead of coming to God and saying, not my will, but your will be done. You know what's best. I may have all these needs, but maybe you know best, and maybe you know better for me, God. And again, this is the essence of how Jesus instructed us how to pray. Like in Matthew chapter 6, on the Sermon of the Mount, when he's instructing the crowds and the disciples and his followers of how to pray, he said, pray like this. And he, and he gives us a, a model prayer, right? Pray, uh, Matthew 6, 9 through 13 says, this is Jesus speaking. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your, be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'm sad to say that does not look like my prayers a lot. Right, my prayer looks like, God, you're good. Now give me all these things. Amen. Go on the road. And, I, and if you're anything like me, we have this tendency that instead of asking God what his will is, we come before him with what we want to get out of it in a very entitled way rather than in a very humble way. And so when we approach the Father, there's no greater example of humility than Jesus. Right, even on the eve of the crucifixion, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he pleaded with God the Father three times. Right, let this, if there's any way that this cup can pass for me, in other words, if there's any way I don't have to go die on the cross tomorrow, please let it be. But what supersedes my request to you is that I want your will to be done and not mine. And that was always the way in which Jesus ended. That was the trump card. That was the thing that superseded the request. It was God's will. Despite what I want, your will be done. 
That is a life of approach in humility. And once we've become vulnerable before the Lord, right, once we've admitted that we need him, once we've, become, we've, we've humbly come to ask him, the next step is to trust in his ability. Right, we bring a need, we don't deserve it, Lord, but would you please answer it? But then it takes the faith to say, God, you can do it. I trust that you can, that you have the power and the strength and the wisdom to care for us. And that's what this woman did, and that's what this man did. They came because they believed in Jesus' ability to heal, his supernatural, unbelievable ability to heal and set people free. And so once we've brought our need, once we've asked God humbly, then we need to place our care in his hands. We need to give up control and believe that he's able. We need to let go and let God. Like we need to let go of trying to fix this thing on our own. And we need to say, God, you're better and you're able. And so God, it's yours. And belief and trust and faith in that way, it's a constant battle. It's a constant battle just believing and reading and praying and, and trusting in his ability over our own. And these stories of these miraculous healings should once again remind us that God is able, right? He is absolutely capable to meet and provide your every need. There is no limit to his resources or restrictions to his ability. We doubt that all the time, but that is just a lie. God is able and he is capable. There is no limit to his resources or restrictions to his ability, right? Because he created all things and he sustains all things. And because of that, he can care for us in each of our hardest, deepest, darkest, and most overwhelming needs. We need not doubt, but believe and have faith in our God. And so let's not make the same mistake that the disciples did over and over again. The disciples saw Jesus do the most unbelievable things right in their midst. And over and over, they just went back to disbelief. Not trusting, not believing, not having the faith to believe that he was who he said he was and he was able to meet their needs. And we all have these, we all have like really heavy needs in our life, right? From time to time. Maybe you're in it right now. And you may feel like your situation, whether it's your health or your finances or your relational drama or just struggles in your life, you may feel they're just too much and too complicated. They're too big or you're too far gone. Well, I need to speak to you the truth that you, you cannot despair, but our God is the God who created the heavens and the earth. He created you and I and all the 37 trillion cells that we all have in our bodies. And he ordered every one of them. And he made every one of them. And there is nothing too big for our God. We have got to like live in that truth and walk in that truth and believe that he is able. See, the Gentile woman and the deaf man, they had faith. Their vulnerability and their humility coupled in their trust in God's ability moved the hand of God. It made them well and it set them free. And it says the crowds were undone and amazed at what Jesus was doing. Verse 37 of NASB, ESV, it says, He has done all things well. 
Because he's God and he's able to. And so when we as a people bring our needs before God, we humbly ask that he would do it and we believe he can, you know what we're going to get? We're going to see God's hand move. We're going to see his kingdom come. We're going to see like radical moves of the Lord. And a great text to try to emulate for us and, and practice and pray in for us as a church what we've seen today is 2 Chronicles 7.14. So many of you guys know this verse, but it's this charge to pray. It says, then if my people who are called by my name, if they'll humble themselves and pray and seek their face and turn from their wicked ways, what will God do? I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will restore their land. So when the people of God bring their needs to God humbly, Right When they humble themselves before God and they seek God and we walk with God, it says that God, God will move. And so if we keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking, if we're, if we're, if we're coming before God vulnerable, with humility, trusting God's ability, then we will see and be amazed at what Jesus will do just like the crowds that day. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for how good you are. You are a good father, a compassionate one that is so caring and loving, full of mercy and full of grace. We also thank you, God, that you are powerful that you have authority over sickness, over the demonic realm. You have the power to meet needs, to provide needs. By your character, you are Jehovah Jireh. You're the Lord that provides. And God, we want to be a people that are not fearful to come before you with our, with our felt needs. I mean, with really maybe hurtful dark or powerful or struggles or whatever it is that we feel like we're in need of, God, I pray that we as a people would know who we're bringing those needs to, a loving, caring Father. And God, as we bring those needs to you, I pray that we would be a people that are very humble and thankful and desire, first and foremost, you, your will to be done. And that would you, would you equip us and give us the faith to believe that you are able. Help our unbelief, Lord. Make us a people full of faith, trusting Jesus for, for every part of our life. So would you do that now, God? You are worthy of worship, and so that's why we would do that now. We want to praise you and exalt you for being the God that you are that would die for us and make a way for us to commune with our Father who is in heaven. There's much to be thankful and much to praise you for.